Welcome to Friday's Child the Podcast, formerly known as Life School ME. When I started Life School back in June 2019, my vision for where I wanted to take the podcast and how it would grow was not 100% clear. I knew I wanted to interview inspiring women and share their stories, but there was no grand plan. And that's okay. I'm a firm believer in starting before you're ready. But after falling pregnant with my beautiful daughter Mabia and deciding to focus on the world of bumps and babies for series two, I discovered a new passion for all things related to pregnancy and birth. The things I learned about the female body and birth during my pregnancy journey have changed me forever and ignited a newfound passion and love for this subject matter. So Life School has been reborn as Friday's Child and during this series I will be talking to first-time mums, childbirth educators and industry experts on all things motherhood. Whether you're newly pregnant, a first-time mum, or maybe you just want to find out more about the world of babies and motherhood, I hope you enjoy listening to my wonderful guests and that hopefully you can take away some helpful information and insights. Now let's get on with the show. My guest today is Shona Lahalla. Shona is the wonderful woman at the helm of renowned messy play and baby sign language classes, Katie Jane Dubai. Shona has a master's in clinical psychology and previously worked as a behavioural therapist here in Dubai where she worked with non-verbal children and children with sensory difficulties. It was so lovely to speak to Shona and find out all about her fabulous work with Katie Jane Dubai. So without further ado, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Shona, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so happy we have made this work. Um, We are recording this in the evening. Um, So apologies in advance to any listeners who get my sort of tired ramblings at any point during this conversation. (laughs) But right now I am feeling good, so we should be okay. This this is the mum zone time. After baby has gone to sleep, then our brains just like open up and it's like, oh, let's think about like us and, you know, self-care and all of that. Exactly. This is our time. Um, so Shona, can you start by telling us a little bit about your background and how you came to be at the helm of Katie Jane Dubai? Um, absolutely. So I've worked a lot in clinical psychology and special needs. And in Dubai, I've been working for a couple of years. I worked as a uh, behavior therapist. So I worked with neurodiverse children, which basically means children with special needs. So children on the spectrum and Down syndrome and things like that. And then I ran the special needs division um, for a mainstream school in Dubai. So I ran the entire department from kindergarten all the way till grade 12, um, helping um, overseeing learning support assistance, children and things like that. So that was that was a big role and really exciting. And somewhere along the time, I got pregnant. <laughs> And, um, and then I had um, little Johan and I decided to take some time off from working because as a first time mom, I really wanted to enjoy this Mm. and working a lot with children. I was really excited to have my own child and see what that experience would be like um, in parenting. And about a year or so after that I um, I've been to a lot of classes with my little one you know pretty much all the classes in, in Dubai we hit them all and uh, I um, I was looking to start something part-time and uh, we used to go for these great classes at Katie Jane Dubai 
And the lovely lady, Katie, who used to run them, said that I am looking to travel the world. <laughs> I'm looking to leave Dubai and I'm looking for a mom just like me to take over. And I thought that was a great, great, great fit for me because I've worked with nonverbal children. So um, the sign language classes were a great, um, easy for me to take on. I've worked with children with sensory issues. So doing messy play and sensory based play is perfect. And nature based outdoor play was just, I mean, I love nature and I love outdoors. Like my favorite thing was like my favorite trip is on my travel to Mongolia. So I've gone to like really like places like out of the blue. <laughs> So I love things like that. So it was such a great fit. And so I took over and soon after I took over, um, lockdown hit. And so it was, it's been a very interesting journey and a lovely journey. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about me. Well, I didn't realize you'd taken over that sort of soon. I didn't realize that it was just before we sort of started this crazy journey that we've all been on. Um, so how have you had to adapt? Because I know you're now doing in-person classes, but did you do some online classes during the lockdown? How did it sort of work? Absolutely. I started actually with online classes. So we did, well, Messy Play doesn't really translate to online classes. Yeah, a little so hard. We just, so I actually, I actually wanted to start something to help parents because a lot of parents struggle with how to engage with their children, how to entertain their children. I don't like using the word entertain. I like to say engage and, you know, um, how to find ways to um, just engage with your child. Um, so I started singing story sessions and that went off really well, even with younger children. And because we come from a place of child-led, um, we allow children to participate in the ways that they want. There were some children that preferred to just listen the whole session and some of them listening while playing with blocks and not even looking at the screen. And then after the session, they would be singing the songs the whole rest of the day. And so they kept coming back for the session. And if somebody watched our sing and story session, it would seem like two, three of these kids were not engaged at all. But just because they weren't making eye contact doesn't mean that they weren't you know, taking it in and mm. enjoying it. Yeah, because we so all have that, a different way was, of learning, don't we? And that starts right from when we're teeny tiny. Ab absolutely. There's so many ways to learn. Some children are kinesthetic learners, so they learn by doing. Some children are very visual. They need to see it to understand it. So we all learn in different ways. It's funny you, you say about the entertain, because this is something I find myself saying a lot lately. I'm struggling to entertain my almost seven month old um, because she's at that quite awkward age where she doesn't fully sit up on her own, but she wants to sit up. She wants to be in everything. She doesn't just want to be lying on her back, but she also has quite a short attention span. And I sometimes find myself when I'm at home a lot, sort of like, oh, I feel guilty that I'm not like giving her more exciting things to stimulate her but one of the things I do every single day is take her out for a walk and get into the park because I think at least that's fresh air she loves looking up at the trees she absolutely loves that um so what sort of classes do you offer at Katie Jane and what sort of ages do you cater for so could I could I bring my seven month old or is that too young no, absolutely. So our youngest classes um, start at five months. So five months till about toddlerhood, we have sign language classes. 
Um, sign language is also great for older kids, but at this time, I'm not doing sign language for older children, maybe soon. Um, our messy play classes, of course, are like our hallmark, or our mucky pups, they call the mucky pups classes. We have a six month to one year class. So that's a special class where everything is taste safe. Um, our paint is made from scratch. So it's literally made from like kitchen ingredients. There's no chemicals in, in it at all. Um, so that's a separate group. And then we have the older group where we have, where we use actual paint, but paint again for that age group. And, um, so the mucky pops is, is, uh, is, I think like our favorite class. And, oh, I think my um, would love that. She is just into everything at the moment. She just wants to pick up everything, put it in her mouth. Oh, is this a baby? I'm sorry. That's, that's, that's my other baby. It's or is my it your cat? cat? <laughs> The amount of times my cats meow and I think it's my daughter. I'm like, oh no, it's just a cat. Okay. Phew. Um, what a gorgeous cat. Our listeners won't be able to see this, but you have a gorgeous cat sat on your lap. Um, can you let us know a little bit more about the role of sign language and language development in babies? Because it's not something I know a lot about, I have to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Um, see, if you look at the way babies develop, they develop their fine and gross motor skills long before language develops. So if you look at your little one, she'll start to kind of move her hands, um, reach for things. So all that develops, whereas language and words and babbling starts much later. And they get their first words around the time they start working, walking. So around age one is when the first words come in. And even there are a few words, it's still not clear. And there, there are very few words that come. And all the way up to even four years of age, there are certain syllables and sounds that children um, have difficulty pronouncing. So language starts much later, verbal. Um, now, language is a couple of different things. There's speech, language, and communication. So speech is actually talking the clarity in what you say. And language is understanding the meaning and, you know, like the sentence about it. And it's both receptive and expressive. So receptive means that you um, understand what somebody else says. So if you tell your kid, give me the red ball, and they go get the red ball, they've understood language. And expressive is when you say, what color is the red ball? Or what color is that ball? And they say red. So that's when they express back. But both of those let you know that they know it's a red ball. It's just the way that they tell it to you is different. So that's the key thing about receptive and expressive. So young children, they don't have the capacity yet to say a particular word, but that doesn't mean they don't understand language. So they understand everything you say. And so this is where sign language becomes the, an amazing bridge. So children aren't able to communicate back to us because they don't, they're not able to form that word, but they can use their hands to let us know what they want. So if you have a little one that's saying burr for blue and burr for bus, you don't know which bird it is. But if they sign while saying that, then it's instantly clear and you can follow along with them and be like, yes, yes, that is a blue bus there. <laughs> it's not just blue and a bus, it's a blue bus. You know, and that, 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 that leads to a whole nother conversation. And how young can you start this from? Because my little girl's already started sort of babbling. And sometimes I think she really understands what I'm saying, um, particularly when I'm trying to take something away from her. <laughs> she really lets me know she's not happy. So how, how young can we start these classes? 
I really think you can start sign language. I started with my little one when he was born. Um, wow. So you can start any time. Um, but you're more likely to see a response. I would say five months, four or five months is when you start. And then by six to nine, 10 months between that window is when they have enough fine motor control that they will start signing back. Um, you're looking for like fine motor response. So once they're able to point, wave, or clap, those actions, then they're able to use their hands to sign back to you. So for some children, it might be earlier, some children a little later. But the really cool thing, I also feel that sign language works really well with understanding language. So when we talk, we say like a long sentence. And for kids, that kind of all just gets smashed together mm. and it loses the main, you know, what you're trying to say. It's like, oh, do you want milk? Uh, do you want the milk now? Do you want a heart? Oh, wait, let me go and get the milk. And we just said like so many things and, you know, they didn't find what was the important word in it. So when you say, do you want the milk, um, you know, and you sign and you always use that word, they link the word and the sign and that helps them understand language better. Oh, it's so, it so fascinating. You must have a lot of parents that come where they are teaching their child two languages at the same time. So Absolutely. how does this impact? Because I remember when we first went for our um, sort of first hospital visit, or maybe it was her first vaccinations, and we had to see um, the ENT and just as a routine check. And, and he was explaining to us that when you have a bilingual child, they sometimes develop their speech a little bit later or a little bit slower. Um, so... And and I've never really looked into it before, but I really would love my child to speak English and Arabic because my husband's Arabic. So how have you seen that impact on child's, um, on, on children's speech development? Well, some studies say that speech or language could be a little bit delayed, but other studies say that it's just kind of like... Um, kind of like the pause before the burst of language. So they pick up two languages, you know, they're kind of processing everything. And then suddenly they have like, you know, so much of language. And this is where sign language is great because it, it's the bridge between two languages. So whether you say water um, or you say Maya, you'll do the same sign. So then children learn, it means the same thing. So that's, that's the one thing which I love about sign language and it helps to connect languages. I hadn't thought of it in that way. That's actually really fascinating because there might be a language that they naturally sort of pick up easier. Or in my case, my daughter's probably going to spend more time with me on a daily basis while daddy's at work. So therefore she might be around English more. So then if she does start sort of when she starts speaking, saying the odd Arabic word, and I don't understand because I don't speak Arabic. This is where the sign, as you say, could bridge that gap because then I know what she's saying, even though I might not know the word. And that will help me as well um, communicate with her because that is something we really want to do. We would love to instill both languages in her. I mean, look, it might not go to plan because my husband and I speak English together. Um, even, you know, family that speak the same language and are trying to instill both languages, it can be hard, especially when they start going to nursery and school and that language isn't used as much. But I think that's a really amazing way of looking at it. I never thought about it in that way before. 
what some parents do is um, each parent picks a language and they talk that language with their child. I, unless they're both together, then they speak, you know, like you would speak English or something together. So like your husband could speak um, Arabic with her when he's with her. And That's, that could be the yeah. That's what we're planning to do. And obviously we've been doing it from birth, um, but she's still only just seven, almost seven months. But I'm I'm really strict with him. I'm like, please only speak Arabic with her. But it is hard when you're, you know, in the home. Um, but I'm really, I'm really fascinated to bring her to one of your classes to see how we can start this sign language um, journey together um because i think she's she's at the perfect age now where from what you've told me i think she would yeah she she sort of grew i can tell she grasps when i say certain things um and she's definitely grabbing for things and, sh and and doing all that sort of stuff so um yeah we definitely need to get ourselves to one of your your classes um i mentioned earlier about how i struggle to keep my daughter engaged or we'll use that word at home for any other mums out there that may be facing the same issue, what are your top tips for engaging your little ones when you're spending a lot of time at home? So I have a lot of ideas you can do for like the seven to 10, 12, 12 months. Now that, that I feel, at least me personally, that was a really tough time as a mum because they start moving. So when they start moving, they start crawling, they start walking. So they're really getting into everything and they're too young to understand the dangers of it. Whereas by the time they're one or one and a half, they, they get a sense for their balance and, and they're a little more mindful. So it's, it definitely is a difficult time um, to supervise them because they really want to explore and all of that. Some um, great ways to keep them um, engaged are treasure baskets or discovery baskets. They're the best thing. Just get get a basket or get get um, a box, get a get a cardboard box and put things around the house in it. So you can pick a theme if you like, like you could pick everything blue. So we're going to do blue today and just get blue things or we're going to pick steel things, you know, so they can have like steel and hear the sound of everything on it. Um, a lot of parents talk about how it's really difficult when children get into their things. So like they get into the kitchen or they get into, you know, their cupboards. And the reason why children get into these things, because children love functional items. They love seeing household items. They love seeing everyday objects and they love exploring them. They're far more engaging than any toy you could buy in a toy it's store. It's so true. <laughs> Mavi is only interested in whatever's around. Like she has no interest in any rattles or, yeah. So, so use that. So that's why treasure baskets are fun. Like put a bunch of things in a basket and let them pull it out. If you want to make it harder, make it like a smaller slot so they can just fit their hand in, you know, so they can't see what's inside and like half in and out. Um, depends where they are in terms of object permanence. So are they enjoying peekaboo? Do they understand if they can't see it, it's still there? Then you can hide it. Otherwise you need something that's kind of translucent where mm -hmm. they can, they know it's there. Um, some other great things are mirrors, like put a big mirror where they can see themselves. You know, we learn through, you know, looking at ourselves. So they try something and they're like, oh, my mouth can do this. Oh, my hand does this, you know? Um, so mirrors are great. Um, music, rattles, puppets, all of these are really great, like storytelling, even just talking about your day with them. 
you know, just talk to them. Oh, you know, mommy's going and mommy's going to heat something up. Um, mommy's really hot. Let's turn on the air conditioning, whatever it is, you know, just that constant language and pointing at things, labeling things. Oh, let's get the book from here, from the shelf. Stuff like that is great. Oh, and peekaboo, endless fun. Endless fun. Pick something opaque, pick something translucent, different things, you know. Um, that's great. Um, other things which are really good is sensory things. So especially around this age, they're starting, you're starting solids. So messy play actually helps with um, eating because um, that sensory touching textures and all get them used to touching textures and they're more likely to taste and eat it. Mm. So it, especially if you're following a baby led approach, then sensory messy play really helps. Um, so, you know, give them some yogurt to play with, give them rice. There's so many things. Um, if you're worried about um, stuff, put it in a bottle and super glue the bottle shut. So not just like water-based things, you could put lights and get like a tiny LED lights with a little battery, pop them in a bottle and close the bottle. And, you know, they can enjoy looking at the lights. So um, there's really like so much you could do if you um, look into sensory bottles. And I think the last thing I would end on with regard to this age group and play in this age group is the notion of active versus, versus passive toys. Mm. So active yeah. And so active toys are toys where you have to do the work. And passive toys are where the toy is doing the work and you're just passively looking. Okay. So toys which light up, you know, toys which, you know, all the bling bling lights, you know, and they're great, but they're the junk food of toys. So you'll notice kid will love them. She'll go straight to them and then they'll be done with them in like no time at all. And then you're like, oh, I need another bling, you know, shiny toy. And no, you don't. <laughs> um, it's, it's great to have a few of these things. It's, it's very nice to have a cookie on something, you know, it's not, um, you know, junk food once in a while. But in terms of a main diet, you want a toy um, that is. So some examples of active toys would be blocks. You could use them in multiple ways. You can stack them up. At this age, they like breaking them down. They're very dis deconstructive play. So they're still learning um, how to break things down. It's really hard for moms because they keep building. If you have an older sibling, uh, recruit them to build that tower. <laughs> or a, like a favorite aunt, <laughs> build that tower. Um, so, that, so that's what you're looking at in terms of um, active toys. You're looking toys that can be used in multiple ways. Toys where they're doing the work. You know, and that, that block could be anything. That block could be a little car going beep, beep. That block could be the Burj Khalifa. That, you know, um, that block could be a cow going moo. It doesn't have to look like a cow. It could still be the cow and up and down. And so that's where imagination and all of that comes into play. That is so helpful. You've given me personally so many ideas. I'm going to try tomorrow the bottle with the lights in because I have quite a few little LED lights with batteries. Um, and we've always got bottles lying around. So I'm going to try that first thing tomorrow because I've got quite a few of those junk foodie toys, I have to admit. Um, I think we're all guilty of that, aren't we? And she does, she just gets bored so easily. Um, I mean, the other morning I put her in her little walker in front of the mirror and she was quite happy there for quite a long time. And she was giggling. 
I've made forts with pillows and put lots of different toys around her. Um, but I think you've really given me quite a lot of ideas because I think it's really hard at this age because they're not mobile, but yet they want to sit up and they want to be into everything, but you can't take your eyes off them for a second. Um, and it, I, I'm personally finding this age the most challenging so far. Um, you know, and it's, I sometimes sort of reminisce about the newborn days where she just, you know, lay there sweetly. And although I'm loving everything that comes with this, you know, I love watching her develop and her little character. When you're trying to get a little bit of work done and get some emails done, some days it's just impossible. And they're the days where I'm like, right, come on, we'll get out to the park. You know, um, when I've sort of gone through my hit list and nothing else is working, I'm like, oh, come on, we'll go out to the park. No, I love this term reset. So, you know, like when you're like struggling and you're kind of fighting and you're trying to make things work and your kid keeps coming and it's just not working, it's just stop and they need attention. And once they their needs are met, it could be an hour later or something. And that's when you can then get back. Because if it's not working, you're just fighting an apple battle. So reset, like you said, great way, um, go out for a walk, take a bath with them, dance, put on some music, just change it up. You know, we're the adult, like they, they're struggling and they don't know how to change the environment, but we're the adult and we can easily just change the scene, change the mood, change anything. We have that power. Absolutely. I have days where I feel like I've got so much done and she's pretty much entertained herself. And then I have other days where I feel like she's been in my arms the entire day, you know, and that's okay. You know, just as we have our our days where we need more attention than others or we're not feeling so great, we can get a good night's sleep. I accept that. I just think, and I hear this a lot from my mum friends, it's just that sort of guilt of, oh, I'm not entertaining her enough. I'm not engaging with her enough. So thank you for all those tips. Um, before we move on to the quick buy round, I just wanted to ask you, what can mums and dads expect from one of your classes? If they're listening and thinking, oh, I really love the sound of that, what what can they expect? Because I've seen a couple of beautiful photos on social media where you're outside. So um, tell us a little bit about what you can um, look forward to if you're joining one of your classes. I guess the underpinning principle behind all our classes is child-led and open play, open-ended play. So it's child-led because we give children tools, but different children use them in different ways. And that's the beauty in it. Now, child-led play does not mean just leave your child. We're the, you're there to support your child. All our classes have um, adults with them. So it's engaging with them. Like the child says, oh, look, a pizza. You're like, oh, cool. And then the parent says, what can you put on the pizza? Maybe let's roll some um, basil on it. And so you've added a new word to their, um, to their language in context. So open-ended play is a lot more challenging because it could go so many different ways, but it's also so much more engaging, interesting. Um, children learn so much better. So the way we do messy play is really very different from anywhere else because of our child-led concept. So if you come for a messy play class, children have the freedom to move from tray to tray. So some children may prefer, some children spend the whole class at one tray. And some children hit all the trays like three times over. <laughs> so, and that's the beauty in it, you know, finding what, what each child likes and um, how they engage and learn. 
So I think child-led is something that I love teaching parents about, advocating for it, talking about the importance of it, and really giving parents that space to let their child um, slowly find their way. Um, I, I, I must talk about this one child who was just amazing. Um, she was very shy. The mom was very very worried about her. She came in for our class. She didn't want to touch anything. She didn't want to go anywhere. She just sat on her mom's lap the whole time. And uh, and we just let them be. We, we gave her like her canvas near her. We kept everything near. She refused to touch the paint, refused to touch anything. And then suddenly by the end of the term, she started touching the paint. And then she went the other direction. She started just painting everything, like painting her body, painting her mom. And she just like went in that direction. And then the next term onwards, she was not body painting anymore. She was painting on the canvas. And she's opened up so much. Um, yesterday, she came into class and she smiled, ran into class, waved at me and started doing the actions. And I was literally jaw, you know, my jaw dropped. That is so beautiful. How old is this little girl? She's about two years old. The toddler. Just about to... Toddler, yeah. That is just, oh, I love that. I need to come to one of your classes. I think it's so, you know, if, you're, if your child is not able to play with lots of other kids, particularly at the moment, and maybe your child doesn't go to nursery yet, I think a lot of parents are worried about that. How, how they're sort of, particularly now with the world we're living in, they can be quite restricted. And obviously all children are different. All children react differently. But how amazing that that mum has given her little girl the chance to explore um, her character and her love for painting by the sounds of it. That is just so, so lovely. I think once children have a safe space, and then they they start exploring you know it's it's like us if we go into a room of strangers or a room you know we can be more reserved even if we're an extrovert inside you know you, you can just be quiet and reserved and once we feel safe that's when we open up and really start engaging and so we show parents how to let your children engage you know um if a child doesn't want to touch paint we give them tools so that way they can paint without getting their hands messy if they, they don't like the texture of paint so there's so many things that you could do to find ways to let children engage mm. without you know saying like touch it touch it look everybody else is touching it you should do it too so we're not about that at all where you know each child does works at their own level yeah i i mean i've even noticed with my daughter that she is very sensitive to her surroundings. You know, we'll arrive somewhere and she can start crying. She's a bit overwhelmed, too many people. And then after about half an hour, she's relaxed and she feels safe and she's giggling. Sometimes we arrive and she immediately feels safe and she's all smiles and happy. So, and it always fascinates me, what are those sort of environments that she feels okay in and what are the ones she doesn't? Um, and it can really take her time to relax and I know when she's relaxed because she's smiling and she's babbling and she's being how she is at home um and it I find it really interesting even from that tiny age and it always amazes me that we as grown-ups experience that so why wouldn't we as babies we almost expect babies just to be sort of you know sleep through the night just be the same everywhere 
eat everything. Like we just expect them. And then we're really confused when they don't do it. We're like, oh, that's strange. She didn't eat as much as she did yesterday. Well, do you eat the same every day, you know? I think that's definitely a challenge for us as parents, you know, to realize that our children have their own personalities and their own needs. Um, Because babies don't talk much or communicate much initially uh, or communicate in the way that we recognize. They always communicating. We just mm. may not realize it's a communication. Even crying is a communication. They're telling you something. Um, so we don't realize they're communicating us. So we project a lot of our needs or our perceptions onto them, you know, and that's when they push back and they're like, no, I don't like this. <laughs> yeah. Or, oh, I do love this. Yeah, it's so true. We'll be right back after this short break. As an expat first-time mama, I know firsthand how hard it can be to find your tribe, particularly during these very strange times we're all currently living in. Playdate is an interactive platform where mums and dads can help build their child's social circle and avail awesome discounts and deals. Born here in Dubai, Playdate is currently available for download on iOS and Android in the UAE, USA and UK. Users can share stories, create memories and expand their child's world all through the ease of a single app. It only takes a few minutes to set up your profile and start exploring. Set your preferences for age, gender, your child's interest and browse parents and children in your neighborhood, nation or worldwide. Once matched, get instantly connected with mums and dads using the chat feature. Organize playdates, mama meetups, share ideas and make new memories with new like-minded friends. To make your experience even sweeter, swipe through and discover incredible offers, exciting goodies and fun-filled events for you and your little one. Playdate's fabulous founder, Shamim Kasabawi, was a guest on the podcast for episode 5 of this series, so please do go back and have a listen to my chat with her to find out more. Build your child's social circle today with Playdate. Download now on Google Play and the App Store. Now let's get back to the show. Okay, um, we're going to do a quick fire round now. Shona, I don't know why I call it a quick fire because it always ends up sort of going off into <laughs> other conversations. But um, anyway, what is your one piece of advice for first time mummies? My biggest piece of advice is trust yourself. First time mummies always feel um, that, you know, that mum guilt or that unsure that I'm a first time mum, I don't know anything. That's not true. You know, you know your child. You spend every, you spend so much time with them. Even if you're a working mum, you spend so much time with your child. You know them inside out. So trust, trust yourself. Yeah, it's so true. Um, your top three essential items for first time mums. So my items are, <laughs> I would say um, it's really important to have a post, help postpartum. I feel postpartum is not talked about at all. So to have either a doula or family, um, you know, way back before we had a whole community there. And a lot of um, cultures, when you look into it, they have um, traditions associated around childbirth. And they have like a period of like 40 days or, Mm. and that period is important for a reason. And a lot of us forget it, you know, forget the importance of it, but it's underpinned by some very important for some reason. So I think postpartum help is a very essential item for women that those first two months or 40 days, you, you have to like learn so much and your body's recovering and your hormones are raging and your, you know, your milk comes in and, you know, 
um, it's just it's just a lot. It is um, a lot. The second one. Yeah, it's it's a lot, and it's not spoken about enough. You're so right. Um, my second item that I feel is really important is um, a phone. And ask me why, because that's where your mom tribe is nowadays. Your mom tribe is on Facebook. It's on WhatsApp. So your phone is really important. Um, it's there for you to read up on something um, with babies. So, I mean, it's not to have a phone that's important, but it's to find your tribe on, on your various groups and, and find the moms that are supportive, find the moms that are there for you, that, you know, um, lift you up. Find those moms. They're there. <laughs> they are. I, I honestly have met some incredible moms who, as you say, you know, we're on WhatsApp groups, we've got Facebook groups, and they just, I've met some, yeah, absolutely amazing moms who definitely lift, lift me up, particularly on the hard days. Absolutely. And that's why my third one, my third essential item is a sense of humor. <laughs> No one's ever said that. I love it. You have to take a moment back and laugh when you've gone for this really important, let's say, wedding and babies had a poop explosion and it's everywhere. And you're just like, who could make this up? It's just fact. Could not make this up. So you just got to take a step back sometimes and, you know, um, just laugh at where you are and, you know, just go in a completely different direction. <laughs> yeah, you can't yeah. you can't take yourself too seriously and sometimes you have to laugh else you'd cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just you laugh and 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 the kids pick up on that energy, you know. They they love it when you pivot, you know, when you pivot the situation, they pivot with you and they mm. learn um emotional regulation um through that. Saying don't cry doesn't work at emotional regulation. Don't cry means we're not safe, giving them a safe base to cry. But saying it's okay to cry, take a hug, and then what shall we do to make it better? You know, you know, and so that's that's my thing. Oh, my daughter sees me do that on a regular basis. So <laughs> we'll have a little meltdown. So right, what are we gonna do about it? Um, one item you thought you would use as a first-time mom but didn't actually end up using or didn't use that much well I would have to say bottles we didn't use bottles at all we just um breastfeeding directly and um you didn't like the bottles I was at home all the time I didn't need to um so we never used bottles yeah and I guess the other thing which we really didn't use much was the crib mm. Yeah, I hear that a lot. Particularly the sort of really pretty bassinets for when they're newborn. I think they look gorgeous, but so many mums say to me, we just ended up not using it, or baby hated it. Um, and then they grow out of it so quickly, don't they? Absolutely. So I think that don't buy a lot of things for, for babies, you know. Buy a little bit, you know. Buy like two bottles, buy, you know, one thing. Because you don't know what kind of baby or what kind of mom you're going to be. So things can completely um, change. Yeah, I literally bought one bottle. And at the time, I didn't even know what kind of bottle it was. I was like a couple of weeks from giving birth and we were in a shop and I was like, I better get one bottle in case. I mean, I don't even know like 
I have a breast pump. I hadn't even looked at it. I was like, okay, my sister-in-law gave it to me. I was like, I better have one bottle in the cupboard. And we didn't use it for a couple of months. Um, I didn't even know if the teat side was, was right, you know, so you're right. Don't, cause I had friends say, you can get these things when you need them. We have Amazon, we have mum's world. Things can come the same day. Don't go and spend a fortune on those bottle kits and think because you might not use them and if you do you can you can order them so yeah I think um that's that's really good advice especially for mums who might feel a bit overwhelmed that they need to buy loads of stuff you really don't actually need that much stuff do you particularly in the beginning um what's one thing nobody warned you about before becoming a mum cluster feeding yeah, I'm sure you hear that a lot. <laughs> I mean, before I had a baby, I, had ne- I didn't even know what cluster feeding was until it was happening to me. And I'm Googling at 4 a.m. Why is my baby feeding nonstop? What is this? <laughs> well, I mean, I- I'm cluster feeding and breastfeeding in general, I feel like the perception of how much a baby breastfeeds, it's really underplayed in culture, in the media. Like breastfeeding, and I read a post somewhere which says it's equal to a full-time job, the amount of hours, and and it, it it's true. Yeah, it's full on. It's 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 a, it's a lot of time. You're you're sitting there with baby. You're not able to get up to even get water in those newborn days. You know, you're you're just like holding it and waiting. You know, for her husband to come in so you can use the bathroom. It's it's that kind of situation and. Um, yeah, I feel like moms should be told um, about that. And this is where you need that postpartum help, where somebody can be there and, you know, uh, hold the baby for a few minutes, um, you know. Um, so, yeah. It can be debilitating. And I remember in those early days, I got really good at doing things super fast. So as soon as she finished feeding, I put her down, she'd sleep, and I'd be like, right, get done what I need to get done, whether that's eat something, have a shower, brush my teeth, wash my face. And I'd literally do things at the speed of light because she'll be ready to feed again in half an hour or whenever it is. And then I'm sat there for sometimes an hour at a time and you're literally, you can't do anything, you know? And I got really good at doing things with one hand. Like really good. My little one um, used to like to contact nap. So if I fed him and put him down, he would wake right up. Yeah. So even sleep was not. So we got really good at wrapping him. So I would just wrap him. He would be on my chest. He would sleep like a dream. So that, that I would say that wrapping um, really baby wearing really saved me in mm. those early days and really helped me be mobile and, you know, do things. That yeah, be hands-free, be able to get a few things done because, yeah, it really can be debilitating. Um, what's your favourite thing about being a mum? Um, cuddles. Cuddles um, and being surprised. You know, they surprise you in such beautiful ways. From, from the things that interest them to the things they say back to you. My little one has started talking now and it's it's... It's, it's a beautiful thing to, I mean, he started signing. He's been signing for a long while. So it's given me quite a window into his world from a very early, mm. early age. And it's been a very precious thing to see the, that. Yeah, you know, what interests I, him. 
I can't wait for that stage, not to wish this stage away, but I can't wait until she starts saying things. I just, I can't wait. And she's, finally, she's it. she is. She's saying it with verbally. her eyes. And, <laughs> yes, lovely. That's and she's I saying mean. it in, like she's saying it in the way that she laughs at certain things and she looks longer at certain things. And you'll see that, and that's a way of telling you, I love this, mommy. Like the cats. She knows the cats now and she loves them. She absolutely loves them. It's the cutest thing. Really, nature and animals across the board. Yeah. Children love them. Um, finally, Shona, what does motherhood mean to you in three words? Okay, three words. Let's go for an alliteration and see if it works out. Okay. Um, <laughs> love. Okay. Because like love, like when they first sign, I love you, you know, um, and it's learning because motherhood is a steep uphill curve to learning so many things as you go and they change so fast and you just have to learn all the time. And motherhood really taught me to live in the present. You know, babies all are all about the now and the here. And so they really teach you to like savor the moment because in another two months, there'll be another baby. And as in, there'll be another child, like they will change. So I think love, learn and live. That is so beautiful. And I think you're so right. I, I try every day to be as present as I can. And sometimes I fail at that, but I, I, try to say to myself you're never gonna get this time back again with her like she's changing by the day so even on those really hard days because it is hard sometimes just try and be in it and enjoy it and focus on the positives because before you know it she's not going to be a baby anymore it's it goes so quickly and and um Someone I interviewed recently said that their friend had said to her, it's the longest days and the quickest years. And I just thought, yeah, that, that makes total sense. It is. I think parenthood is such a paradox and I, I love it. Me too. Shona, thank you so much for giving me so much of your time this evening. I'm going to put all the information on where people can find you. Um, and your classes in the show notes below and I myself cannot wait to come to a class I think what you're doing is just amazing and there are lots of different classes here in Dubai but I feel like what you do is so special um, and it sounds like it's such a beautiful experience for you and your child which is just really lovely so thank you for all your time today you're most welcome. It was my pleasure. I look forward to having you and Mavi in. It's going to be so fun. Oh, I can't wait. Thank you, Shona. Big thank you once again to the lovely Shona. You can find links to Katie Jane Dubai's Instagram and website in the show notes below. You can also find links below to our social media accounts, including the Friday's Child Facebook community. This is a group I have created in the hope to share positive birth stories, along with parenting life hacks, tips and tricks, general advice, and much more. And finally, I would be so grateful if you could show some love and please rate, review and subscribe to Friday's Child the Podcast to help us reach more wonderful mummers. Until next time, thank you for listening.